my name is Mike, and uh, I am one of the members here uh, at Pillar Jacksonville, if you don't know me. Um, and I'm glad to be here uh, presenting to you this morning. And today we're continuing in our series on the book of John. And we find ourselves landing towards the end of chapter 13 and then into chapter 14. So if you want to grab a Bible, uh, if you don't have one uh, yourselves in front of the, the chair in front of you, you could find one. Um, if you don't have a Bible at home, we just say, hey, take that home with you so that you uh, can continue your study. So we're going to go to John chapter 13, and we're going to be studying uh, John chapter 13, verse 31 to 14, um, 14. So John 13, 31 to John 14, 14. The title of my sermon this morning is, Are You As Ready As You Think You Are? Are You As Ready As You Think You Are? You are. So just a, a quick recap uh, over, you know, the sermon from last week. So earlier in chapter 13, uh, Jonathan was presenting to us last week. You know, at the, at the beginning of chapter 13, uh, we see jo um, Jesus, knowing his hour had come, uh, was celebrating the feast of the Passover with the disciples. And during this time of, of remembrance, of course, he took uh, the liberty to, uh, to do some teaching, and, uh, and, and he, he took off his, his outer clothes, uh, just girded himself, and he washed their feet. He humbled himself, and he just washed their feet. His lesson, of course, was um, that a servant not being greater than his master, and that they would do well to remember those things and to do those things to remember those things and to do those things. We also learned last week that Judas, um, his heart was just not in the right place. Clearly, we, we learned that Jesus, knowing Judas's heart, um, passed a morsel of bread to him <clears throat> to do what he had been predestined to do. Again, it was a teaching moment for Jesus because even though he knew what Judas's, where Judas's heart was and what Judas was about to do, he still humbled himself and served Judas. So moving forward, again, it's always about a teaching moment uh, that Jesus is doing here. And I just want to just take a step back a little bit. Um, we have to understand the big picture here. If we think about the book of John, there are 21 chapters in the book of John. Now, starting in chapter 13, uh, which we started last week, we are in the final hours of Jesus' life. So continuing chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, and chapter 17 as well is just a prayer, and then into a bit into chapter 18. These are the final hours of Jesus' Jesus' life. So about Five and a half chapters of the 21 chapters of the book of John are the final hours of Jesus' life. It's about 25%, about a quarter of John's book is on one night. And that's a lot to take in. You know, it makes me think of uh, what's he doing when he's teaching them. And if you remember uh, from your time in school, you may not want to, whether it's high school or college, grad school, maybe schoolhouse, uh, if you're military. Remember uh, final exam time. It's like, what was that like for you? You know, you know, 
One of the things I remember them well as a student, but also as a teacher as I taught for a number of years, was, um, you know, I'd always have a student ask me, is this going to be a cumulative final? Meaning, is this going to be everything that you've taught us or just like the last two weeks? Well, here we are in, of course, the last hours of Jesus' time on earth, and he's preparing them for what's about to happen. You know, what were you like when you were studying? Were you one of those avid note-takers that may have two or three weeks, you are preparing for this final, or were you like me? Man, I got a final tomorrow. I should probably study, right? So here's Jesus' teaching, and yes, it's a cumulative final. So we have to keep in mind in the book of John why John wrote the book, and he reminded us of that in John chapter 20, specifically in verse 21. And the main idea from the book of John, he clearly spells out for us. It's, it's that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you may have life. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you may have life. So let's dig into that a little bit deeper right now. Let's go to John chapter 13, starting in verse 31. Follow along with me, if you will. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I will say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And you also are to love one another. By this, all people you know, will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Continuing chapter 14, it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would have I told you that? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And the way to where I am going, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. 
Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Believe or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, so that this Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, you've given us these words. Father, I just pray that we're able to take these words to heart. Father, I pray that I'm able to do justice for these words and that you would just uh, speak to us uh, as we just dig deeper into these scriptures to understand uh, why they have been preserved for so many years. What were you saying to your apostles? What is it you say to us? Lord, I pray you just guide us in your words as we try to draw closer and closer to you and fully put our trust in you. So from today's scripture reading, what I hope that you would get out of all of this as we, as we look at the big picture overall from this section is that God is glorified when we love like Jesus, we trust that Jesus is the only way, and that we pray with confidence. Again, God is glorified when we love like Jesus, when we trust that he is the only way, and we pray with confidence. So there's three primary bullet points uh, that we're going to go through. And the first bullet, bullet point is this, that we love like Jesus. So those of you that are avid note takers, that we love like Jesus. So in our scripture today, <clears throat> Jesus says, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So how has Jesus been loving them? Before we answer that question, first let's, ask, let's just ask, how did their journey begin with him? I mean, it's a little bit different for some of them. But for the most part, he called them to follow him, right? And he's saying that here in the text as well. What would they be doing if they followed him? They'd become fishers of men. Okay. So go back to our question now. How has he been loving them? He's been loving them with patience. A lot of patience, and we'll see that in the text as we dig into it. He has loved them by serving them. I mean, think about earlier in chapter 13 where he just washed their feet and told them, you will do well to remember this and to do it. He's been loving them with guidance to the path of eternal life. He's been loving them with correction and grace when they do wrong. He has loved them by opening their eyes to the scriptures, to what it really said. You could not look at Jesus 
and not see his love. Oh, man, I got a double negative on that one. You could not look at Jesus and not see his love. In other words, if you look at Jesus, you saw his love. I'm reminded of what we saw a couple chapters ago uh, with Lazarus, right? When he, when he raised, when Jesus raised Lazarus to the, from, the, uh, from the dead, what happened right before then? Of course, Jesus wept. And what did others around him say? They remarked, look how he loved them. It's so much compassion. So how are you loving? When others look at you, do they see love? You know, Jesus was questioned by the Pharisees. What is the most important commandment? What was his answer? I expect you know this. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, and your spirit. And he quickly commented, and the second is just like it. And that's to love your neighbor as yourself. So do we do that? Do we love God like nothing else matters? What about others? Do we love them the same as we love ourselves? So now Jesus, in these final hours of his life, in his final hours of his life on earth, is commanding them to love like he is loved. It's interesting to me that in his final hours, he's not thinking about himself as, honestly, I expect I would. Rather, he's continuing to teach his disciples. So in these final hours, what is Jesus teaching them? To love. To love so much that people would know that you belong to Jesus. Have you felt the love of Jesus in your life? Do you love like this? Are you striving to follow his command to love others as he has loved you? So how else did Jesus love? He loved us enough to provide a way for us to follow him for eternal life. And that brings us to our second point. Our second point is, We trust that he is the only way, and we follow him. We trust that he is the only way, and then we follow him. I can't ask, I can't help but ask in these final hours, is Jesus preparing them to be on their own? Is Jesus preparing them to be on their own? And it's a trick question. At first glance, we might say yes. But this is where Peter is lacking trust. This is where Thomas is lacking trust. Philip lacks trust. And this is where we tend to lack trust as well. We're not on our own. If we look at verses 36 to 38, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now but you will follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. 
So again, Peter asks, why can't I go? Why can't he go? You know, let's go back a bit. Again, when, when they started their journey with Jesus, and Jesus told them to follow him. Why did he want them to follow him? So he could make them fishers of men. So let's re-ask the question, why couldn't they go with him? Because it's time to go fishing. Don't get it yourself, so. Don't buy a new boat just yet. We're going fishing for men and women and children. It was time to go fishing for Peter. Jesus' earthly ministry was coming to an end, and theirs was just about to begin. So it wasn't time to follow them, him yet. You know, the disciples spent some three years learning from Jesus. For what? For an earthly ministry. That was the plan. That was his plan. It was God's plan. Why were they chosen? To glorify God. To do what God wanted them to do. Did they all do it the same way? No. No, they all did it differently. Interestingly, you know, we learned last week that there was a plan for Judas Iscariot. And we see here that there was a plan for the disciples. And let's look at Peter's response when, when Jesus tells, tells him, where I am going, you cannot come. And Peter tells Jesus, I will follow you to death. I personally believe that Peter knew that Jesus was going to die. And in Peter's mindset, he said, I'll follow you there. But let's pause on that. Again, there's, there's no surprises for Jesus here. Right? Again, last week, there's no surprises for Jesus with Judas. He already knew what, what was going on as far as Judas went. He already knew that where Judas's heart was, he'd been stealing, and that he was going to betray him. He already knew all of that. He already knew that Peter was going to be denying him three times before the early morning. You know, let's also think about Peter. You know, earlier in the chapter, as far as Peter goes, Peter says, you will not wash my feet. Earlier in chapter 13, and Jesus corrects him and says, you know, Peter, I have to wash your feet. And then Peter's like, oh, just wash all of me. And he's so uh, uh, zealous and, and uh, full of energy. Um, but again, Jesus, when he does that, corrects him gently and with grace. You know, Peter is so full of passion and so full of ambition and so zealous that he really thinks he's ready. But Jesus tells him before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Now, he didn't say you wouldn't die for me. He didn't say that. But Jesus knew there was more for Peter to learn. Was Peter as ready as he thought he was? No, he was not. Why not? Why wasn't Peter ready? When Jesus told him this, you know, what did he say? And, and, and he said a little bit more gently than I did. You know, but he said, when Peter told him, when Jesus told him this, what did he say? He said, Peter, you're not as ready as you think you are. He did it a little bit differently. And it's because Peter thought he could do it on his own. And I think we can all agree that Peter is believing in Jesus, very much so. Peter is believing in Jesus. But is he trusting in Jesus? Fully trusting in Jesus. 
You know, it reminds me of another story of our, our friend, our overzealous friend, Peter. If you think about, recall, uh, for those of you that remember, when he jumped out of a boat. And at first, he just his eyes are on Jesus, and he starts walking. But then after a short bit, he started sinking. Why? Because he took his eyes off of Jesus. He looked around and started depending on himself. He looked at his own inabilities. He said, I can't do this. And he started falling. He wanted to trust, but he had more learning to do. So why isn't Peter as ready as he thinks he is? Because he's trying to do it on his own. But it's not just Peter. As we continue into chapter 14, we read about a couple of others. You know, in the first couple of verses of chapter 14, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. He knew they would be troubled. He did. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Now, some translations may say mansions, um, and given our current perception of what a mansion is, I think it's a bit of a misnomer. Um, You know, the actual Greek word means uh, many dwelling places. There are many dwelling places, many rooms. You know, and Jesus continues and says, if it were not so, what have I told you that I would go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself where I am going, you may also be. And you know where I am going. So let's just stop for a second. Jesus is telling them where he's going, what he's going to do while he's there, and how they will get there. He's going to return to the Father. He'll prepare a room or dwelling place for them. And when it's time to go, he will come and get them himself. That seems pretty straightforward to me. But Thomas jumps in. Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. And Jesus tells him what? I am the way. I am the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And he continues to say, if you had known me, you'd have known my Father. Also, from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Now, back in John chapter 10, verse 39, Jesus had said, I and the Father are one. So just got to keep that in mind. I and the Father are one from John chapter 39. John chapter 10, verse 39, excuse me. Now, when we overlay that on top of John chapter 14, verse 7, if you had known me, you'd have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Why? Because I and the Father are one. You know, do you ever talk to someone and, and you feel like they're listening, but they're not really hearing what you're saying? I know when I was practicing this on the way down, my wife just gave me this stare. <laughs> like, hey, so I don't know if there's any spouses there staring at the other spouses or maybe, maybe kids staring at parents or parents staring at kids, right? But it's like, man, they just, they just weren't getting it. So why is Thomas not trusting? But it doesn't stop there. Let's look at Philip. Philip now says to him, Lord, show us the Father. It is enough for us. And I'm like, man, you know, I'm sitting here like, what? You know, truth be told, this is where God really is working in me because he's a whole lot more patient than I am. I would be banging my head against the wall right now. You know, 
But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus just simply says, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whomever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Or at least believe it on account of the works that I do. You know, you've got to think about this. They had just seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. How many other miracles did they see Jesus do? How many sermons did they hear Jesus preach? And they're still questioning. But why are they falling short in the trust department? So collectively, we've got Peter failing to trust. We have Thomas failing to trust. We have Philip failing to trust. Are we any different? Are we really any different? What were the disciples trying to do? And what, what do we try and do? I think a lot of it comes down to when we try to follow our own path and we think we can do it on our own, or we try to follow the path that we think God wants us on, but we try to do it on our own, we fail. We fail to do what he wants us to do. And when we fail, or I'm sorry, when we try to do it in our own strength and in our own way, we forget that we are tethered to God and that he will lead us. And there's going to be some more of that in the coming chapters. And the problem, I think, for us and for them, dare I say, it's in the details. I mean, they believed. We believed. But we want details. Jesus has already told them to follow him. Not only that, that he will come and get them. But it's not enough for Jesus to say, follow me. They want all the details. We want all the details. They want to know everything. We want to know everything. Could you imagine what their reaction would be if they knew all the details? They must be some pretty hard times. Who'd sign up? But isn't that what we want? How often do we feel prompted to do something, but we refuse to move until we know all the details? That's not faith. That's control. That's self-reliance. We want to ensure we can do everything that is laid out before us in the plan so we can evaluate it. In the last part of verse 10, Jesus says, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. We don't have to do it on our own. So Jesus wasn't preparing them to be on their own. Trying to get them to depend on the Father. But again, like the apostles, we want the details. And again, the details are not always pretty. A little analogy to help you understand that. Who doesn't enjoy a good hot dog? Man. Some people may say, no, okay, so throw a hamburger in there. But man, a, a grilled hot dog, for me, just a little mustard, a little onion, a little slaw. Don't knock it till you try it. Man, I can taste that. And it's, it's good. I'm telling you, it's good. All right? But I don't need to know all the details on how that hot dog came to be. Oh, no, I don't. No, I probably, matter of fact, if I knew all the details on that hot dog, I probably wouldn't touch another one in my life. Right? I don't need to know the details because the details are not always pretty. How do we know? You know, God tells them to follow him. He will show us the way. 
but it's not enough because we want the details. How do we know that God says Jesus is the way? Because God told us. Again, we got to look at verse 6 versus verse 10. In verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And in verse 10, where did these words from Jesus come from? Verse 10 says, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. God working through Jesus. God working through you. So where are you right now? If you're here this morning, do you fully trust Jesus? Do you fully believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that you cannot come to the Father except through him? Do you believe it so much that you would bet your life on it? It's that important. If you are here and you've never trusted Jesus for eternal life, I'm here to tell you that it's time to do that. Is God calling you here today? You know, I thought I knew the way. I thought I had an understanding. You know, I was raised since I was born in a church. I was raised to honor God and fear God. But God opened my eyes some 21 years ago, and this verse here, this very verse, has everything to do with that. I learned that I needed to trust in him as the only way. It wasn't about church attendance. It wasn't about following rules. It was about following Jesus. It was about making Jesus Lord and Savior of my life. Have you done that? And if you've not done that, then I would encourage you after church to come talk to me, talk to one of the pastors or elders, and we will show you what that looks like. Scripture here actually continues to show us a little bit more of what that looks like. So our third point, and I promise this one will be a little bit faster, Pray and allow God to work through us. The scripture says in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than he will do, because I am going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So let's think about this. What are the scriptures telling the disciples to do? You know, in the earlier passages, in the earlier passages, the disciples were commanded to love like Jesus. And then they were told to trust only in Jesus as the way. And now, as Jesus is preparing the disciples to be fishers of men for their earthly ministry, Jesus tells them the source of everything that he does and that they can tap into that source as well. What is that source? Prayer. Go to God. In these verses, he's telling them how to tap it. He's telling them they need to pray. And while he does not use that word prayer, he does say, whatever you ask in my name, who are we supposed to ask? God, in prayer. What is the purpose of our asking? That God is glorified. How do we know that he will do it? 
Because he says in verse 14 that he will. Anything you ask in my name, I will do it. Don't get ahead of yourself there again. Anything? Well, it's got to be something glorifying to God. That's our focus. That was Jesus' focus. He did things that would glorify God, and that's what he spoke to God about. So was he talking to the disciples here? Well, take a closer look. He says, anyone who believes in my name. That doesn't limit it to the apostles here. That's you too. The apostles were called to be fishers of men to continue what Jesus was doing. And the promises that were made to them are made to us. That's the confidence that we have. I asked Eddie to read Psalm 5, but I don't know if you caught in the beginning of Psalm 5, David says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. Praying. In the morning I prepare my sacrifice. And then what? I watch. I watch. What is he watching? He's watching God listen and do. In verse 10, again, of our scripture reading, the Father does the work through them. Jesus modeled prayer for them. How did Jesus know what to do? He was in constant conversation with the Father. How would the disciples know what to do? Follow Jesus. Do the same thing. How do we know what to do? Just follow Jesus. Don't worry about the details. Just follow. Take that step of faith. What is Jesus calling you to do? So as we put it all together, Jesus' focus was on glorifying God. In the final time of his life, while his physical time left on earth was short, his focus was on teaching the disciples. Today we focused on loving like Jesus, trusting that he is the only way. And while we have our time here on earth, we should be praying confidently and trusting God as David did. Jesus was focused on glorifying God, and that's what our prayers and our lives should look like as well. We don't need to know the full plan up front. We don't need to try and control it. We simply need to trust and obey. Let's pray.